tonight when you're having a good day. And if not, hopefully your day will get better from now on. If you could open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 23. We're going to look at three verses tonight. 2 Samuel 23, verses 20 to 23. title of tonight's message is Pit Stops and Pitfalls. Before we get into the scripture, this happens to one of my students this year and he's big into the NASCAR racing. So I said, what an appropriate time to come since part of the title of the message is Pit Stops. Now I'm not, uh, that's not a sport I ever really had interest in. But I know they go at very high speeds. And for a couple times they did that when Pastor Joe wasn't around, I know it can be very dangerous. But in motorsports, a pit stop is where a racing vehicle stops in the pits during a race for refueling, new tires, repairs, mechanical adjustments, the driver change, or any combination of the above. In any racing series that permits scheduled pit stops, strategy becomes one of the most important features of the race. During a scheduled pit stop, the team's pit crew services the car as swiftly as possible, completing a number of different services. The most visible service performed are refueling the car and changing tires. That's what we normally see. You know, maybe they're wiping down the windshield. But some of the other services performed in the routine pit stop includes removing debris from the radiator air intakes, cleaning the windshield, and making adjustments to tire pressure, suspension settings, aerodynamic devices to optimize the car's performance for the current conditions, and endurance races, scheduled driver changes, and brake pad replacements also considered routine service when done as part of a scheduled pit stop. So the pit stop is pretty important when you're talking about racing cars. And there's a strategy involved. They time it, they practice it. Other competitors are trying to figure out, you know, the details, um, how the opponent is doing things, if they can beat him with the whole course of the race. So the strategy of the opponent comes into play also. Pit stops. We've all had them in our lives. We've all had pit stops. You think when we come to church and fellowship together, it's a pit stop. We're getting refueled. We're getting our windshield wiped. We're having a better spiritual vision as we get into God's Word. To get us ready to get back on the track as we travel through this world. We have to understand, as we do, and I think most of us, there is a strategy of the enemy that wants to take you out. The other part of the message tonight is pitfalls. And I think we've all had pitfalls. Pitfalls can come in the form of sickness, can be a death, can be something terrible that's happened economically, socially. Any one of a number of categories that can fall into a pitfall. And I think we've all had pitfalls. 
what I want to propose to you tonight as we study God's Word is that every pitfall can be a heavenly pit stop. It's a place where we can re-energize with the Lord. It's not surprising to Him. It's not taking Him by surprise, the pitfall that we're in. He knew it was coming. And I want to throw this at you too, that He knows how many pitfalls we have to go through to make us into the man, the woman, the teen of God who wants us to be. So let's take a look at 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 20 to 23. Now, I practice these names. A couple of the first two years. I think I got the first one down. The next two I had a little trouble with. But for some reason, the uh, first two names came to Benny and the Jets. Well, for, for those who know what I'm talking about. But let's see how we do. Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. So he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, did and won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. Benaniah. One of the things in the Old Testament that's always fun to do is look up the word, what the meaning of the word. Again, usually a person whose name is some characteristic of personality trait. In this case, Benaniah means Jehovah has built or Yahweh has built up. Jehovah has built or Yahweh has built up. And I want us to always remember that God's word was put there for you and me. God is continually building us up. He's doing it through the circumstances in our lives. He's doing it through the people He puts in our lives. That's so important to understand. And just like Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And the big thing there is all. Not some things, not the things you like, not the mediocre things, not the terrible things, but all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Right now, that's going on in your pit stop. It's taking place here right now. God is working on you. He's working on me as we get into His Word. He knows what you're going through. He knows the inner thoughts. He knows the inner struggles. He wants to keep working on you. He hasn't stopped. Since before the foundation of the world, it says that Christ died for you. So he's had you on his heart forever. We look back 2,000 years ago and see the cross where he died for your sin and my sins. He rose from the dead to put the stamp of approval 
of what he did as favored by the Father. And then he's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's fighting our battles every day. And it's by his strength, not by our strength. It's by his spirit, not by our spirit, that we fight our battles. And if you're anything like me, you've tried to fight your battles before. And you've ended up in a pit, trying to get out of that pit, and it's been wet and muddy, and you've just been getting a foot and sliding back down into the slot. It's not until you give it to the Lord and realize it's His battle, and you get to be part of it, that He lifts you up on the pit and gets you walking again. But remember, the pit can also be the pit stop if you look at it through His eyes and not through your own. His father was a Levite priest, okay, and his father's name means Jehovah knows. And just like I had said in the last couple minutes, God knows. He knows everything you've been through, through. He knows everything you're going through, and he knows everything that's coming on the racetrack of life. He knows what's coming. He knows the five tires you're going to have, spiritually speaking. He knows the victories you're going to have, the losses. He knows the crashes you're going to have. He knows all those things. That's so comforting to know that he's got it all in control, and we don't. Kabzeel, which is where he was from, means God gathers. God is always gathering his people together. You and I are his people. Throughout the world tonight, or throughout this world this day, where they've had Bible studies, home fellowship groups, God is gathering his people together through his Holy Spirit, teaching them, refining them, getting them ready for what's coming next. That's awesome. You know, we're the body of Christ. He's the head. Jesus is the head. And he's getting his body ready. And what's he getting ready for? To take us out of here. He's getting us ready. He's purifying his bride. It's always an encouragement for all of us when we see each other. Sunday service, Bible study, men's fellowship, women's fellowship, because we know you're being called and you're being obedient to that call. He's working on each of all of us all the time. And then when we get together, it's a special fellowship that we have. That koinonia that it talks about in the Bible. In 1 Peter uh, 2, verses 1 to 5, I'm going to read it from the uh, New King James, and then I'm going to read it from a uh, paraphrase edition. In 1 Peter 2, verses 1 to 5, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the word is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now the paraphrase of that. So clean house. Make a clean sweep of malice and pretense, envy and hurtful talk. You've had a taste of God. 
Now, like infants at the breasts, drink deep of God's pure kindness. Then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Welcome to the living stone, Jesus, the source of life. The workman took one look and threw it out. God set it in a place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life, in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Now, I know some of you guys, and even girls, you remember when you made mud pies when you were little kids? And guys, remember when you tried to make like a brick little hut or something, or a little fortress for your toy soldiers? Well, I'm going to give you a few easy steps if you want to make bricks. Okay, I'm going to go through some things if you want to make bricks this weekend or something. Okay, you're going to begin by collecting the perfect dirt for brick making. You're going to go down and dig down at least one foot into the ground, collecting the deeper, lighter colored dirt and not the topsoil. You're going to sift the rocks and twigs from the dirt and place it in a wheelbarrow. And you can use a household strainer to sift the dirt if desired. Teens and guys, just don't let your wife know about what you're borrowing from the kitchen drawer. Okay, second, you add grass, uh, grass or straw to the dirt. As a general rule, you should add one part grass or straw to six parts dirt. The grass or straw should be cut short, so no longer than three inches in length. Stir in the water slowly, mixing it well. Add only enough water so that the dirt is thick, not runny, about the consistency of a biscuit dough. It is important to mix thoroughly, preventing the dirt from clumping up and forming brittle, dry patches in your finished brick. Shovel the mud into your chosen mold. Molds can be made from many things, such as old milk cartons, ice cream containers, pot pans, or you can make your own mold from scraps of wood. Place the molds full of mud in the sun to dry. When partially dry, you can add decorative touches, such as a hand or footprints, glass beads, or anything you can imagine. Once the bricks are dry enough, remove them gently from the mold and place them in a dry, shaded area to complete drying. Placing them in the shade for the final drying will help prevent cracking. You can strengthen your bricks by adding one part lime or cheese, whey, or manure. Now, through the making of the bricks, a couple things that I just wanted to point out. You have to put them in the heat to bake for a while, where it's hot. You also have to put them in a cool place to harden. You also have to mix them with some things that stink. You know, a lot of that stuff are some of the things we have to go through in life in order to be molded into the men and women that God wants us to be. You have to go through the heat. Sometimes it's a dark, damp place, and sometimes it stinks. But understand that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The other thing that's a comfort is God is the potter, and we're the clay. He's molding. He's shaping us. In Romans 5.3 it says, And not only, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worked with patience. Now, when was the last time you were in tribulation and you were psyched? You jumped around and started clapping and cheering and just telling others about the tribulation you were going through and how happy you were at night. You probably don't remember doing that. 
You're doing your best just to try to make it through that tough time. In Romans 5, uh, verses 1 and 2 says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with Him, make us fit for Him. We have it all together with God because of our Master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. Verses 3 to 5, there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us, and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Again, another paraphrase, just being used to show you that, hey, everything we go through, God is just doing an abundant work through it in our hearts, in our lives. Now let's get back to the text with Benaniah. Now he's singled out for being a great warrior. There's some exploits that he did that we'll look uh, at, but as a result of some of the things that he accomplished, he was made the bodyguard of King David. He was the head of the bodyguards. We see in the text that he killed two of Moab's best warriors. He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, before he was named the bodyguard, and he ended up being the general of the army, before he did those, or got those promotions, he killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Okay? Now, just think about that for a second. It was snowing. There's a lion. Now, my first thing is I'm going to run the other way. And on a snowy day, I'm not going to have very much traction unless I have spikes on it. But here is this warrior chasing the lion. And the lion falls into a pit. Damn it. I'd be very happy if the lion fell into a pit. And I could run in any direction I wanted. However, there is a problem with that. The problem is if the lion gets out of the pit, he could still attack me or others. But what Ben and I did, he goes into the pit and kills the lion while it's snowing. Be a great movie. Picture it. The pit, the lion goes down. Here's Ben and I. Gets back, runs, dives into the pit. And like those old cartoons, you hear all the noise and the screaming and the growling, and then it's sunny. And you're waiting to see who comes out of the pit. And here comes Ben and I out of the pit. On a snowy day. What a personality, what a character for the Lord. What a warrior. Remember David, how he would kill animals to uh, protect the sheep. 
the lion and the bear. He practiced while he was out there with the sheep, with his slingshot. Little did he know when he was a young guy that he was going to use that same slingshot that he killed the lion and the bear and chased off the wolves from killing the sheep, that he would kill Goliath, the hero of the Philistine army, and win a tremendous victory that day for the Israelites. God was using those circumstances. Remember Joseph, he was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Why? Because of their jealousy, because of their hatred, because of their anger. But 20 plus years later, that was one of the things that God allowed to happen in Joseph's life to raise him up to second in position in uh, Egypt in order to save the Israelites and feed them during those seven years of drought. What is it that God is using the pits in your life to prepare you for? Well, you don't know. I don't know. It could come as early as tomorrow, the very things throughout the last several years or your lifetime that God is going to bring to you to use all that character and spiritual development that He's put you through up to this point. Remember, He said that we're living stones being molded and being uh, built into this house that is His body. And you know what you need to do if the brick isn't fitting right, you might have to chisel away part of that brick or stone. And remember, stones are, some stones are formed through a lot of pressure, a lot of heat. Have you ever been in that situation? You felt the pressure, you felt the heat. It wasn't a good place to be in. It was the pits. You didn't know if you were ever going to get out of that situation. I want to go to another part of the scripture in the Old Testament that talks about some of the other things that Ben and I did. Uh, when um, a king attempted to assert the throne of Israel for himself, Adonijah wanted to be the king. And he was trying to overthrow the rightful heir to the throne. Ben and I remained loyal to David and to David's known successor, who was David's son, Solomon. And it says now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. His father never had at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Jeruiah, and with Abathar, the priest, and they followed Adijah and helped him. But Zadok, the priest, and Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan, the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. When David learned of the plot, he sent his most trusted men, including Benaniah, to not only protect Solomon from assassination, but to coronate Solomon while David himself yet lived. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, so that they came before the king. And the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon my son to ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon, 
And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him, king over Israel, then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. King Solomon then went about removing the threats to him, including his own brother, Adonijah, who would surely have done the same to Solomon if he came to power. Solomon sent Benaniah to kill treasonous Adjaniah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, Go to do so to me and more also, if this war does not cost Adonijah his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and he who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death this day. So King Solomon sent Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And that's in 1 Kings 2, 23-25. Is it the men of God and the women of God that are in the victory for God? 2 Samuel 23.10 says, The Lord brought about a great victory that day. It doesn't mention the characters, the personalities, that it was their victory. It says the Lord brought about a great victory that day. There is nothing that we can accomplish for the Lord that the Lord doesn't accomplish through us. It's not you or me that's accomplishing that victory. That's so important. I think it saves a lot of growth if you understand that it's the victories is the Lord, it's not yours or mine. And if, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament has a lot of history about individuals and situations that took place. But the experience that I want us to think about is in our own personal walk with Jesus, in our victory in the spiritual battles that come our way. Do we have a knowledge of what God has done and, and accomplished in each of our lives since we have received Him into our hearts? And since we have made Him our Lord and dedicated ourselves to the studying of His Word? Do we see that the, these experiences that we read about like we're looking at tonight in Benahiah's life. Do we understand that we too have these type of victories? Whether it be spiritually or physically, there's things that are going on in our lives that we've seen the Lord accomplish. Ephesians 6 talks about standing our ground and wrestling in the name of our Lord. It's two things here standing our ground. But also notice the other word, wrestling. There's a battle. There's an effort. It doesn't just come naturally. You have to choose to stand. You have to choose to wrestle. Benaniah had a choice to run, to leave the lion in the pit. He did it. He dove in. Now understand this, when you're in a pit, there is a lion. Matter of fact, there's the father of lies, who's a lion to you. He's telling you when you're in a pit, you're no good. 
You're not worthy to be called a Christian. Where is your God now? How, did, how could He let you be in this situation that you're in if you're really a Christian? Think about what you think and think about what you did. He doesn't love you anymore. He's the father of lies and he's going to try to keep you in that pit. Just like Nebuchadnezzar threw the guys in the furnace to destroy them. They went in happily. They said, okay, we're not going to bow down and if we die, we die. And if not, either way, the Lord's going to deliver us. And the Lord was right in there in the midst of In the pit is where the reality of Jesus will come through even more. In the pit. But it's the Lord's pit stop that He's bringing in because He's doing a work on you. He's giving you a clear vision through your spiritual insight. He's giving you a refueling with His Holy Spirit to get over and fight that battle and stand your ground and wrestle. Where do you stand your ground and wrestle? Where are those situations? We go through them every day. In our home life, in our personal walk with our God, in our prayer life, in our testimony and witness among friends and workers, and I want to ask you a question, and I throw it right at myself. Are you resisting or retreating? And understand, a Christian warrior doesn't retreat. Remember the armor of God? Once you turn around, there's no protection in the back of that armor. All your protection is in the front, and your sword should be out. I want to finish with this from Joshua. Chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua has crossed the Jordan River and he was surveying the battleground in Jericho, which was the first great city that stood in Israel's way. Verse 13 says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshipped. And he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your feet. Foot for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Well, that was Jesus that was face to face with Joshua. Joshua had just come into the land flowing with milk and honey, but there was a city that was opposing him, a huge city, Jericho. And while he was out surveying what he was going to do, Jesus appeared to him. Notice what Joshua did. The very thing that we were doing before we opened up God's Word. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to Jesus, What does my Lord say to his servant? 
And notice the Lord's answer wasn't, okay, this is how you're going to win the battle. This is what you're going to do. We'll get to that a little later. But he said to Joshua, just take your sandal off your feet. For the place where you stand in this hole. And Joshua obeyed. Jesus has been fighting for us, like I had said earlier, before Calvary. The responsibility of the battles is the Lord's, and we just need to submit to His authority. If we stand before God with our self-confidence and arrogance, thinking, it's me, and I'm going to win this battle, then we'll fall, fall before the devil and his demons. But if I fall before the Lord, then I'll be able to stand before any enemy. Because it's not by my might or power, but it's by His Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we just thank